carrying on our series and uh, looking at, we're looking at 17 New Testament chapters that will finally convince you and me that we are now completely right with God. And the goal is that you and I in our lives have a firm, unshakable foundation and that with God and before God, we are confident, expectant, and enjoying intimacy and connection with God with absolute assurance that right now the believer is 100% right with God, just as you are. And so we're going to look at the question then, how can we know, because we know, because we know that we're absolutely right with God. And in this section I'm reading from chapter 4 of Romans, Paul says, I'm going to show you that you can absolutely know that you are right with God, because I'm going to give you the example of Abraham and how Abraham got right with me. So in chapter 4, if you've got your phone or you've got a paper Bible, if you want to get that out and read along. And our goal really as we're doing this is you've been reading hopefully the chapter through the week and then the speaker is pulling out the section of the chapter that best and most powerfully communicates the new covenant reality that we're now in. So chapter 4 and verse 1, just going to read a few verses. And so it says... What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So how did Abraham get to this place of being favoured by God, having these amazing promises from God, enjoying this amazing call of God. What did Abraham find in terms of getting right with God and what does that say to us? First of all, was it Abraham's effort? Paul, the writer, says, what, was, what shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Now, flesh means, in this section, it's the external things we rely upon. It's the actions or behaviours or obedience. Was Abraham made right with God because of his actions, because of his obedience, because of his behaviour? Is that how Abraham got right with God? 
So flesh means anything that we are prone to rely upon or trust in or be confident in in terms of our relationship with God. Now Abraham is really, really famous in the Bible as a person who did incredible acts and works of obedience. When God said, leave your hometown and go somewhere that I will show you, he got up and went. He went to a place he didn't know. When Abraham and Sarah were told, eventually they did believe that you will have a child in your old age, he did believe. When God said to Abraham, be circumcised, he did it. When God said to Abraham, sacrifice Isaac, he did it working out in his head that probably God could raise the dead even if he did it. Abraham has an incredible CV. Amazing CV. An incredible CV. And then Paul says, what did Abraham find in terms of his effort? Was it all these things he did that made him right? And the answer is no. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So in terms of getting into a right standing with God, in terms of being confident before God, in terms of being in a place where he could be favoured by God, the Bible says none of those things impress God. None of those things could Abraham boast in and say, yeah, I'm right with God because look, I went when he said. Look, I obeyed when he asked. Look, I was willing to sacrifice when he said sacrifice. He has nothing to boast about. They didn't get him right with God. See, if he had any works that made him righteous, he would have something to boast about. You'd have a grounds for boasting. But it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was justified as a gift. It's funny these words, isn't it, that we uh, talk about like justified. What does it mean that Abraham believed God and it was credited as righteousness? What does justification mean? We throw these words out and we think we know and think, yeah, we're used to them. It means justification is a legal term. It's a legal term about being right with God. It's like if you and I were in a court and we were guilty and the evidence was stacked up against us and we knew we did it and the judge knew we did it and suddenly we find ourselves acquitted. And you know the hammer, whatever they call it, in a court, and the, court, and the hammer goes down and it says, you can go free, you're not guilty. And that person walks out thinking, wow, I deserve to be incarcerated, I deserve to be punished, I deserve to be imprisoned, I deserve to lose all my liberty, all my freedom. But the judge has just brought the hammer down and says, acquitted, not guilty, go free, walk and live the rest of your life in liberty. And that's what it means. Abraham believed God and it was credited. He was justified. But it doesn't say he was justified by his works. It doesn't say the judge looked at Abraham and said, show me your works. Show me why I should acquit you. 
Show me why I should let you off scot-free. Show me why I should open up the doors. Show me why I should let you go. It doesn't say Abraham said, yeah, God, number one, when you said go, I went. Number two, when you said get circumcised, I got circumcised. When you said sacrifice Isaac, I did it. I was willing, although God stepped in. It says, no, there's no works. It says Abraham was justified by faith. It doesn't say first Abraham worked, stacked up a good CV, a good reputation. It didn't say Abraham first learned to love and to obey. It didn't say first of all Abraham progressed in his character, in his diligence, in his disciplines, in his performance. Rather it says Abraham believed God. He simply believed God. He simply trusted God. He simply banked on God's free mercy and he looked away from himself and his performance and entirely trusted in God's grace. The text says nothing about him delighting in obeying first. It doesn't talk about his good intentions. Later on in chapter 4 it says... Was he justified, acquitted, and let go and free because, first of all, he got circumcised? He said, no, 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 his act and sign of obedience came after his justification. He's let out of prison first, and then he has a sign of his relationship with God. Got a baptism next week. Amazing. Some, in the Catholic faith, they would say, to be saved, first get baptised. No, 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 that's a work. No, baptism is a sign of an activity of God that's already happened. It's not first do, first perform, first achieve, first obey, first change. It says, no, there's no works. Abraham believed, and that was credited. And then he has these amazing adventures with God. He has Isaac. He becomes the father of faith the father of the multitude. His offspring ultimately is Christ. And that's what the book of Galatians will say and talk about. But everything that Abraham did flowed out of and was birthed out of the initial initiative uh, of God and his activity. So you might say, in, okay, Genesis 15, 6 says Abraham believed God. And then it was credited as his righteousness. Maybe it was the believing was his work. Maybe his trusting was his work. Maybe his dependence upon God was his work. It's not our believing that saves us. It's not our believing that gets us right with God. Because if it was, then we'd have something to boast about. We could say, yeah, I'm right with God because I trusted him. And my trust looked like this. Or I'm right with God because I got my believing at a certain level. And that believing that was credited to me as righteousness. And I got acquitted because I believed. Then we'd have something to boast about. Or we could say, I'm going to be right with God because I'm going to work on my believing. No, nothing to boast about. What shall we say? that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. 
but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Uh, didn't you just contradict yourself? It said he believed God and then it got credited. In a moment of encounter with God, Abraham was granted the capacity by God to look ahead to the day of Christ. And in effect, he believed the gospel. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? John 8.56 said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, Jesus said. He saw it and rejoiced. Somehow in that moment, Abraham is justified by faith in exactly the same way you and I are through Christ. Somehow he looked ahead and somehow he saw it, got a preview, not perfectly, but he looked ahead at something far off and somehow he saw the day of Jesus and he rejoiced. And so when it says Abraham believed, it means Abraham was enabled by God to believe, to do what God required. God created faith and then credited that faith as righteousness. I don't even know if there's a, is there a human example where someone might say, you want to get in on this good thing, this amazing opportunity. And YouTube is full of it. Have you seen how many ads there are about the new good thing? And imagine the person said, you need two million pounds in your bank to get in on the good thing. And then the person who's promoting the good thing says, I'm going to credit two million pounds into your account so you can get on the good thing. And you think, wow, that's incredible. I'm in. It's all grace. It's all a gift. Whether you were at home reading the Bible and the Bible came alive, or you were at a conference and someone said, come to Jesus, and it came alive, and you said yes. Whether you just said, is there a God in the universe? And suddenly you knew God created in you the very thing he was looking for. He was enabled by God. God created faith, and then he credited that faith as righteousness, a right standing. It comes through gift only through looking at Jesus Christ. Amazing news, isn't it? And then Romans 4.23 goes on to say, Now, that's how it worked for Abraham. It was counted to him. Those words were not written just for him alone, it's written for you also. Chapter 423, but the words it was counted to him were not just written for his sake, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, our sins, and raised for our legal, absolute acquittal. And that's how it gets done. The way Abraham was gifted faith and he was looking ahead. We're gifted faith and we look back. We see Christ born. We see him live the holy, righteous, perfect life. We see him nailed at the cross as if he was the worst sinner who'd ever walked the earth. 
We see him dying in our place, taking our consequences, dying for our rebellion. And then we see him raised from the dead because death could not hold him because the wages of sin is death and he was sinless and spotless. So that he is raised for our justification, our legal acquittal, once for all settled. God says, I'll settle it for you. I'll settle it for you. Mosaic law, we're learning Galatians, was there to be like a teacher bringing us to Christ. Bringing us to the place where we say, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't keep the law. God says, I'll settle it for you. I'll take you by the hand and I'll lead you to the one who will settle it all for you. Who died for you in our place as us. For us. I'll settle it for you. I'll put something in your account that you could never produce for yourself righteousness. Something you don't possess. Righteousness. He then clears our guilt once and for all and says all claims against you are settled over. Walk for it. That's why Galatians says then, stand firm. Don't let yourself be enslaved again by a yoke of slavery to this and law and that law. Don't you know it's legal, it's final, it's freedom, it's all being settled. And then Paul says, as if it isn't enough, I want to get clearer even more, and says in verse 4 to 5, I want to elaborate. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteous. Now to the one who works. You work all week? Does your boss say to you, I feel gracious, thank you worker for working so hard for this business, this company, this organisation, this department. I feel gracious. I will give you, no, you say, I earned it. I worked for it. It's a payment. It's my due. I'm entitled to it. It's what I should have. Some of you are self-employed. You do the work, you present the invoice, and the person pays the invoice. It's not about the person's generosity. Thank you for doing this work for me. Thank you for building this extension for me. I feel so generous. I will pay you. No, you say, no, I, I gave you an invoice. That's my due. That's what I worked for. It's not generosity. It's not kindness. It's not grace. Rather, it's I deserve this. I earned this. I merited this. I'm entitled to this. And verse 5 says, to the one who doesn't work, but simply believes, his faith is counted as right standing before God. And so Paul wants to nail it once and for all. He, he sets free the one who doesn't work. The one who's produced nothing. And says, just because I gifted you the capacity to trust in Christ, I'll count that as righteousness. Nothing to show. Nothing to recommend you. 
Sometimes we, 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 we like to recommend ourselves to another person and we tell people about our achievements, our, our qualifications, our history. And sometimes we're like that with God. I want to recommend myself with my previous works. But Paul wants us to know that we've got nothing to recommend ourselves to God because we've done nothing. He then goes on and says, okay, I want to nail it even more. I make right the ungodly. It's not that God in the Old Testament was really strong on sin and was a little uptight. And then time went on and he mellowed and thought, oh, thousands of years of these people, got to start relaxing and I'm going to sweep it under the carpet because I just can't bear to be so uptight about righteousness anymore. Or I'm going to change the screensaver, I'm going to turn a blind eye and pretend and I'm going to whistle in the dark and say, oh, they're godly, they're godly. He says, no, 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 justifies the ungodly. Nothing good to show. In fact, the opposite, actually ungodly. Abraham was ungodly. Even Abraham fell short of the glory of God. <coughs> the gospel comes alive when you say, I was helpless, hopeless, powerless, and entirely and absolutely lost, and I had nothing to impress, nothing to recommend, nothing to show I had done. In fact, I was ungodly. Not necessarily as bad as you could be. It doesn't mean that you were as bad as you could be. You might think, I, I could have been worse. That recommends me. <laughs> Not as bad as you could be, maybe. And maybe you were even really, really good and nice and generous. Bible just says all have fallen short of the glory of God and the kindness of God leads us to change our mind. It doesn't matter how bad you were or how good you think you were in your own imagination. It doesn't matter. Bible just says he justifies the ungodly while they're ungodly. It's amazing. He doesn't say, hey, hey, I want to wake up your eyes to where you're ungodly and, and I want you to improve those ungodly parts and I'll come back in a year's time and then I'll weigh up the godly bits and the ungodly bits and if you've done enough godly new stuff, woohoo, you're in. But if the scales are not, whoa, you're out. I warned you. <laughs> back in a year. No, he justifies the ungodly while they're ungodly. You're in the court, you're guilty, you know it, you did it, you fought it, you didn't do it, you should have done it. You know, you know you're guilty, he's right. And you've not even yet repented. You've not cried. Lots of tears of sorry. You're guilty, you think you're going to be cast away forever, he's right. And then the gavel comes down and you walk free, acquitted. And when you step out of the courtroom... Yeah, you've got a new nature. You're born again. But you didn't just suddenly walk out and become this angel, did you? You were, he justifies the ungodly while they're still ungodly. And then in his grace and mercy and power makes us godly in practice. It's entirely God's action. 
a verdict in an instant. This is shocking. How can this be true? It doesn't seem right. It's because Christ died for the ungodly. That's what Romans 5.3 says. Christ died for the ungodly. My debt is cancelled. He'll never see my guilt again. It's out of sight, never to be charged. I'll never be charged with that crime, completely righteous. Why? Because Jesus took them and then Jesus reckoned his personal, perfect obedience to my account so that I looked like I was the most righteous person who'd ever walked the earth. We mustn't turn Jesus just into this example that, oh, I've got to be like Jesus. I've just got to be like Jesus. Everything he did gets credited to me. And so in the sight of the Trinity, in the sight of the Father, I'll never be charged, completely righteous. Jesus took it and reckoned his righteousness to me. Entirely and completely God's action. Received passively from God. With no contribution from me whatsoever. Of course in receiving grace and radical forgiveness, we want to walk with him. We want to please him. We want to value him. But that doesn't save you. And that doesn't make you right with him. That's not your confidence before God. It's not my confidence before God. And yes, we're going to change our mind and we will repent. And that sometimes our repentance will come with tears. But it's not our tears of repentance and our sorry that makes us right. Doesn't justify us, doesn't get us acquitted. You are right with God, or you might this morning want to be right with God, purely through the grace of the gospel. Faith is not a work, trusting is not a work. A Christian is one who simply rests entirely in Christ. And we have to ask ourselves practically, have I, have you stopped looking at yourself? Have you stopped measuring your spirituality? Have you stopped getting your confidence out of how mature you think you are? Have you stopped believing that if I just keep these sets of rules, he's pleased, but if I break them, he's unpleased? Are you only looking to Jesus Christ for your confidence to enjoy God, to access God, to come to God? We're called to grow in our confidence and awareness in the gospel. Do you realise that you can do nothing to make yourself more right in his eyes? Have you ceased to attempt to do anything for him in the sense of trying to get him to please you? Have you understood that salvation is entirely a gift of God, that he gifts to those who were ungodly? And then makes them righteous and makes them blameless and makes them spotless and makes them sons and daughters and gives them a new nature. And you might this morning say, surely I need to stop certain things if I'm to be considered to be righteous. No, just as you are. Just as you are. And then from that place of absolute confidence, yeah, repentance can come and change can come. 
You might be thinking, no, I need to feel sin more gravely and more seriously. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say Abraham really felt his ungodliness. It just said, no, God says he was ungodly. He believed God to put right what only God to do, could do. He justifies the ungodly. Not do godly works first. No, you can add nothing, do nothing, produce nothing. So you can have absolute confidence before God simply through Jesus Christ. Not just on a Sunday morning, but every single moment of the day. The believer is going to never be any more righteous before God. And you might think, what if I joined a monastery? Or a, if you're married, a monastery for married people. <laughs> and you said, from now on, my life will be dedicated only to prayer and fasting. I will give all of my wealth and I'll sell my home and I will give it to the poor. I will love the poor and give it all to them. I will only eat one meal a day for the rest of my life. And after 10 years of that, which for some of you might be, oh, that sounds pretty good, I don't know. <laughs> you would be no nearer to God no more right with God than you are this very moment. I am no more righteous now than I was as that silly 18-year-old who said, yes, Jesus, in his eyes. He saw me as spotless, blameless, righteous then, and he sees me just the same now. Unimpressed in the terms of righteousness of anything we may have done or sacrificed or believed. None of it made a dent. All came out of that sense of his approval. We were ungodly, we were guilty, we had nothing to earn his approval. We could produce nothing, nothing to impress him with. But in his infinite grace and kindness, he credited to our account the perfect life and obedience of Jesus Christ. God did it all in spite of us. So now you can hold your head up. It might have been a rubbish week. It makes no difference in terms of your right standing with God. Now you don't have to measure yourself at all against a measuring tape of the law because you're righteous. No, no condemnation. You don't need to rely on yourself. You don't need to beat yourself up. You don't need to try and whip yourself into a frenzy of believing you are righteous. It's all a gift of God. All we do is receive it and enjoy it. Receive it and enjoy it. Receive it and enjoy it. So Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for the gospel. We want to thank you that the gospel sets us free from the feeling we're never quite doing enough. Sets us free from lies that says you're not committed enough, you're not giving enough, you're not sorry enough, your family's not good enough, you don't love God enough, you don't have enough faith, you, you don't have enough educational skills, you haven't prayed enough or read your Bible enough or fast enough, you're not obeyed enough, you're not good enough, you're not forgiven enough. You've not shared the gospel enough. You've not given your loved ones enough time. You're not considered and con consistent enough. And we can say to that, what shall we say then about Abraham, our forefather, according to the works of the flesh? 
What did he discover in this matter? Abraham was, if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited as righteousness. Now to the one who works, who's always doing enough, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Amen. Think back to that moment you came to Christ and hear the sound of the judge saying, justified, acquitted, go free, hang out with me. We're going to be friends, your son and you're a daughter and you're a new creation, you've got an inheritance. He's the Holy Spirit who will never leave you or forsake you, a friend and a counsellor. He's with you all the time. He's made his home in you because you're righteous. And maybe this morning you don't have that assurance because you thought you had to do it yourself. You thought, I've got to work, I've got to do enough, I've got to be better, then I can come to God. No, you can come just as you are. You can come to God just as you are and say, I don't really understand a lot of theology, God. I don't really understand very much of very much. I didn't understand very much of very much at all when I was 18. It's not by understanding what's the theology that we get in. We just say, God, here I am. I heard that you justify the ungodly while they're ungodly. I heard that you give the gift of righteousness. And even now, Holy Spirit, would you birth in people's hearts the gift of believing and the gift of faith so that they can trust entirely in you who did it all for us. And maybe come and see me if that's a new thing for you, that maybe today was the day for you. Come and see me. I'd love to hear your story and hear what God has done. So we thank you. We pray as this series unfolds, let us live in the radical freedom of the grace of God in new, wonderful ways. 17 chapters that will finally convince you and I that we are completely right with God now. Thank you, God. Amen.